0: Worship has a certain flow or storyline to it. Uh, We did a call to worship. We were called and welcomed in here, and we sang and confessed and were forgiven. And uh, we prayed and unloaded that which was on our hearts, and we gave back that which Christ has given to us. And so now we come to the sermon, and the sermon is like family time. Now that all that's taken care of, we can sit down Uh, in peace with Christ at the table and just say, tell us, tell us about it. And uh, that, in fact, is precisely how this passage works. It's part of a series of chapters in the book of Matthew called the Sermon on the Mount. And they all begin when it says, and Jesus sat down and began to teach his disciples. This is like family time. All the disciples are gathered around and Jesus says, let me tell you, this is what I have to say. And this is what he says.
1: All right. One more uh, look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. And uh, it has been a a good study. I hope that you have uh, benefited from it. I hope that you are um, gleaning insights to apply to your life. Some time ago, we were looking at some uh, videotapes that we had uh, transferred from VHS. How many remember the days of VHS? Uh, VHS to DVDs. And uh, so we were looking through these uh, dVDs with as a family, and we uh, came across a, a scene from you know some event up at our house and uh, i hadn 't seen this video or i hadn 't seen this ever I may may have been behind the camera and just forgot it but uh, so i 'm delighted uh, that we captured this and we got this on on tape and uh, it was an event with some uh, a birthday party i can 't recall right now and and all of a sudden, in the background, without seeing uh, his face, was the voice of my father. Uh, my father is no longer with us, and uh, distinctive voice—you always remember your your own father's voice—and and there it was. And we captured it. And uh, of course, then the camera goes over to see what Dad's talking about, and and you can see my father. Uh, an amazing world, isn't it? Uh, that we can capture uh, loved ones, we can capture their voice, we can capture their image, and. Uh, should they pass on? We still have something uh, of them uh, with us. Um, it's, it's a wonderful thing to capture someone. You, you, in that way, you capture a little bit of their essence. You capture a little bit of who they are. Uh, and I think when I think of the, the Lord's Prayer, what we've got here is we've got something captured for us. Um, it's, it's put down for us. And I think, I'm going to suggest that it's the capturing of the soul... That is, that is caught on fire with with love for God, and it speaks in certain categories, and you see the categories there: kingdom categories. Hallowed be your name, uh, your will be done. This is a, we're capturing the soul, uh, really be on fire. And uh, and as Christians, uh, we're we're really given a template of what it looks like to have our hearts make a U turn our hearts that were going in such different directions than the Lord's Prayer and all those categories. And we have now captured for us what it looks like to have the heart turn around. And so with that in mind, would you, would you pray with me? Let's, let's go before God and let's ask our God to be with us that we could experience and have, have this uh, impact us. Father, thank you for the word of God that has been given to us, that we could know you and we could know that you have spoken and you have not stuttered, You have spoken with clarity, and uh, Father, I'm before people, and we all come from different angles this morning with different needs, and how do you speak to all of us at once, but you do it, and you do it with your wonderful fatherly care, and so grant to us this moment as we come before you, put aside the pressing matters of our lives, and will you speak to us and if you would speak to us, we would respond and say, thank you. We would, we would respond with a life that changes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so let's capture the essence of this prayer. Um, one of the things that might surprise you is, well, I mean, how do you keep preaching? How do you keep preaching on the Lord's Prayer? I mean, haven't, haven't we covered it? Uh, some of you may be just, let, let's get on with something else. Well, if, here, if in your Bible study, and this is just a, a little bit of a freebie here, in your Bible study, if you would begin to pause and put aside everything you know and then start asking questions, write it down on a, side, on a paper off the side of your Bible and, and do this. Start asking questions of the text. Start probing with just different kinds of questions and then watch what happens as that verse now becomes sort of lifted off the page and you begin to think of maybe something from Jeremiah, maybe something from the book of Genesis, maybe a psalm comes to mind. In other words, you are now seeing through questions truth about this passage that you never would have thought of before. And so I have some questions for you and the whole goal here is that the passage would become alive in a new way. And so I've got three Questions for us, and here's here's how it goes. First of all, what virtues are manifested in the person who prays this prayer? Uh, What are they like? What kind of person prays this prayer? Uh, And then, secondly, uh, just again to release the truth, to get this uh, off the text and into our hearts. Here's another question: Uh, What is the vision of God that has gripped? Uh, the person who prays this prayer. What kind of vision of God is is working there? And then thirdly, what new awareness, what new awareness has overtaken the one who prays this prayer? And so what virtues, what kind of, what kind of character, What's what's happening in this person who prays this prayer? What's the vision of God? And then what kind of, just in a general sense, an awareness that's taken, uh, taken over the heart of a person who prays this prayer. Uh, as Pastor Nathaniel mentioned, this is Jesus who is really the, the final Moses. He's, the, he's the, uh, the, the, the true and ultimate Moses. And he has now come up upon a mountain, not like Mount Sinai with, with Moses, and he brings down the law. Jesus brings down his law, uh, and he brings down his truth. Uh, He fulfills all that's gone on before in the Bible, and we have the Sermon on the Mount. And before we ever unpack the Lord's Prayer, we should pause and say, what does Jesus say at the very beginning of the Lord's Prayer that can help us understand the kind of person who prays, the virtues that are manifest inside the person who prays this prayer? And I want to draw you back to Matthew 5, verses 3, 4, and 5. And that is where Jesus utters uh, some of the most famous words that have ever been said on this planet. And he says this. He says to his disciples, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The first words of, from this final Moses, the, the great deliverer, the one who will bring uh, salvation, he says this. He doesn't talk about happiness. He actually contrasts everything you might have thought about, about what the good life is, and he uses the word blessed. And blessedness is a state of being. It's a state of permanence. Uh, happiness Our English word for happiness actually does come from the idea of something that happens. Happiness happens to you. Uh, And you can read all about it in Hallmark cards and that kind of thing. But happiness is dependent upon, uh, well, the generic idea of fortune, uh, good things happening to you. uh, And happiness is highly subjective. Uh, If we were to to pass out three-by-five cards among you today, and and what is happiness to you? And some of you would think of your dog. Some of you would think of brownies. Uh, some of you would, would think of sleep. <laughs> uh, some of you would think of your, 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 your football team winning. Uh, if we think of happiness, um, uh, the other day I was thinking about seven-layer dip. Uh, I was just, I was just, I was just consumed with seven-layer dip, and uh, I watched videos of it. It was fascinating. So, um, uh, and, and so when you think about happiness, that's very, very subjective. And Jesus doesn't enter into the subjective world at all. That's interesting. You can have brownies or ice cream or whatever your favorite food is or whatever makes you happy. Um, That's different than blessedness. Blessedness is actually an objective quality. And and I want to say say up front to you that the person who prays this prayer has had a seismic shift take place inside them. Uh, They are now no longer determining the goodness of God, listen to this very carefully, they're not judging God or determining the goodness of God depending on their circumstances. Oh, things are working out well. God must be good. They're not doing that anymore. They don't have a chip on their shoulder anymore about life. Uh, The person who prays this prayer is the one who has experienced the blessedness of the first beatitude, Blessed are the poor in spirit, the spiritually bankrupt. Uh, we, as uh, as believers, brought nothing to our salvation. The only thing we contributed to our salvation was our sin. That was your part. Anyone wants to take pride in that? I oh, will talk after church. Okay. So, so that's the only thing you contributed to your salvation. And uh, so, so it's interesting is that we today are convinced that our preferences, our desires, the things that we wish for in life, the things we want to be pleased by, these are all legitimate. And I, and I have to admit, I'm sort of Johnny One Note at this point because I do hammer away at the contemporary therapeutic gospel. And David Pallison has written his, uh, an article I read many times a year, and it's called The Therapeutic Gospel. If you want a copy of it, I'll give it to you. But David Pallison has grasped the idea that essentially that religious man years ago was concerned with being saved. Therapeutic man, the age in which we live, is concerned with being pleased. Prior to myself, this is the therapeutic mind, uh, this is how we think today, prior to myself and my wants and my needs, there's nothing else. There's nothing that comes prior to me. There's, there's no um, morality, there is no... Um, uh, objective world that I have to conform to the impulses from my heart are legitimate this is often how people raise their children sort of like they're like self-directing learners they just sort of correct themselves you're like a coach you come along and just cheer them less parenting the better and there's just this beautiful little self that's gonna find its way into the world the Bible doesn't teach that by the way Uh, there is no beautiful little self and uh, we can give you all kinds of, of uh, sad illustrations of beautiful little cells that turned really, really ugly. So, th- uh, here's what's going on: is that uh, D- David Pallison and he writes about the idea that there's a, 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 a seismic shift going on in the gospel, and uh, we are growing in wisdom on how to make a U-turn uh, through God's grace. That our heart is now changing. And the virtue the the fundamental foundational virtue that's in the person who prays the lord's prayer is humility. They are humbled by their failure and their foolishness they are humbled by their need for God. Uh, we are born in this world with with uh, uh, and at least of us Americans uh, extraordinary confidence in ourselves. you know about all these these math tests and science tests that are done in international situations when they they pull the the Korean students before the exam. And um, he or she, uh, how do you feel about yourself? And, oh, I don't know. And they feel pretty badly about themselves, you know. But they score, like, uh, in the top 2% of that math test, right? So going into the test, they felt really poor about themselves. They had very low self-esteem. But then they interviewed the American kid. How do you feel about yourself? Oh, I feel great. I mean, really, when you compare yourself to other people in the world, I mean, what would you put? Oh, I'm at the top. I'm not, it's unbelievable. I'm full of self-esteem. Myself is well-esteemed. <laughs> and how do you think you'll do on, uh, on this test? Oh, I'll do great. I, don't know. I have full expectation. I'll do fine. And they, they, they get like, you know, 47th out of 50, you know? <laughs> but going into the test, they felt great. They felt wonderful. They weren't super about themselves. <clears throat> Who would, who would ever want to make... Listen, growing up in our culture today, who would ever want to make someone else famous? When you think about that, we're all living our own movie. We're all actors on this, on this, this stage, and, and, and how well I'm doing right now is going to determine my, who I am as a person, and, and, and I use people. You use people. We're, we're raised to... We're all on a stage. Who would ever want to take the spotlight off of you And by the way, as one trained in theater, I know one of the most powerful places on the the stage. I'm standing in it right now. How about that? Center stage right. Don't go over there. It's weak. It's true. But who would ever ever want to shift the spotlight as an actor? Even if you're holding a spear in a a, a Shakespeare play in the back, wouldn't you want to have a spotlight on you? And you're, You're the best. Who's that Hamlet guy up there? You, you, the spear holder. You, it's about you. Who would ever want to make someone else famous? This was a prayer. Hallowed be your name. I want you to look better than me. Who would ever pray that prayer unless they had been deeply, deeply impacted by a humble sense that they need God's gaze. And if they don't have God's gaze... They don't have God looking upon them. They are ruined. Pallison writes, uh, he says basically that the therapeutic gospel has morphed Jesus into a meter of your needs, not the savior of sins. He writes this, that the the gospel, the good news of the word made flesh, the sin bearing savior, the resurrected Lord. uh, Revelation 118, I am the living one and I was dead and behold, I am Alive forevermore. This Christ turns the world upside down. And listen to this one prime effect of the Holy Spirit's inworking presence and power is the rewiring of our sense of felt needs. Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, we keenly feel a different set of needs when God comes into view and when we understand we stand or fall in his gaze. Blessed are the poor in spirit who know that they cannot make God look upon them with favor. They cannot manipulate God with their good works. They can't move the God that they need. They can't make him kind toward them. And what he owes them is his justice. And they know he is right. We stand or we fall in his gaze. And that is why Jesus describes the new instincts the new regenerated heart that says, oh, there must be one who is hallowed in this universe. The one who has given me mercy. Hallowed be his name. He should be famous. He should. His influence should expand. His kingdom should go on and on into all kinds of hearts. And it, and someday his kingdom should fall upon this earth in, in a very real, tangible way. His glory should expand. And I need God, Pallison writes, I need God to change me from who I am by, listen to these three things, who I am by instinct, choice, and practice. I want him to deliver me from my obsessive self-righteousness. To slay my lust for self vindication, so that I feel my need for the mercies of Christ. That's the person who prays this prayer. That's the virtue, the humble feeling of the need of the mercies of Christ. So that, now listen to this, and so that I learn to treat others gently, I need God's mighty and intimate help in order to will and to do those things that last unto eternal life. Rather than squandering my life on vanities, I want to learn how to endure hardship and suffering in hope, have my faith simplified, deepened, and purified. So is this in you? Is it in you? Will you want the God that you know to become famous? Is this the, the heart cry of you, of your heart? Is this, is this what's happening inside you? Uh, are you just trying to get uh, God off your back? Uh, what's happening inside you? Our Father, who is in heaven? Sacred, set apart, holy? New desires, new delights. Oh. So, may that be the virtue you begin to see developing in you. And then secondly, I want you to look at this. What vision of God has gripped the person who prays this prayer? What vision of God? Well, what's what's unique about the prayer is that you have to grasp a couple of things before Jesus instructs on prayer. And it's right before he starts the prayer. And in Matthew 6... We have him. verse 7, we have, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. And now here's the transition. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Okay? And then he says in verse 6, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Shutting the door is a picture of I have I have a place to go and there's a vision of God that is deeply intimate, deeply fatherly deeply concerned with my life and I can pour out the the real me In this place of solitude. This is a a vision of God that is has learned that God's presence is deeply pleasurable. That's why we pray that the whole earth should know his name, that his kingdom should expand, because knowing him, this is is very important, knowing him is deeply satisfying and pleasurable. I want to go into private with him, in private, and I can have a sense of shame. Uh, I have failed. I feel shame. I feel guilt. I can still come to him because I know he wants me. I know he can overcome my sense of failing and failure because he's declared t- that I am his daughter or I am his son. He is commanding me to come into his presence and when you feel uh, shame you feel guilt uh, uh, this is how the vast majority of the world acts we run from God we suppress that truth Romans 1 we put it away we pretend it's not there we we see the vision of God here in this prayer is I can come to my heavenly father and I can be with his in his presence. Now, listen to Sam Storms, who is a pastor and uh, one who who has just tremendous insights. He writes this: God is most glorified in us when our knowledge and experience of Him ignite a forest fire of joy that consumes all competing desires, and He alone becomes the treasure that we prize. It's a sight of divine beauty. What is the vision that God granted the disciples as they went out courageously to to spread the gospel in the New Testament era? It was a vision of divine beauty and loveliness manifested in Jesus Christ for their good. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the crazy Babylonian king who actually... uh, Archaeologists have found bricks, and they they found, I guess, thousands of bricks from Babylon, and they all have Nebuchadnezzar's name on them. How about that? He was an egomaniac. Uh, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is given the fruit of his craziness, and he became crazy for a while. And then God restored his senses, and in many ways, this prayer is a restoration of our senses. It's You be hallowed, God. You be famous, God. Well, what else would humans do? What else would humans think? To come out of our insanity, meaning that we would turn away from God, the one who deserves our praise and glory. This is God's mercy upon Nebuchadnezzar. This is Daniel 4, 34. I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. What does his reason sound like? And he says this. He says, Uh, My reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? When you really get it, human beings, when you really get it, you are humbled with a vision of God's wonder and beauty. His his sovereignty is unimpeded. He can't be stopped. And you know what happens? You delight in this. This is good news. It's good news. And, and he may not have changed your circumstance. He may not have given you the, uh, the income you would, would wish in life. He may not have. You may now, with this vision of God, turn aside all this complaining, all this dissatisfaction. And this is what God does. He grants us a vision of what will truly, truly satisfy George Mueller was a a writer years ago, and uh, uh, he wrote a lot on prayer, and he blew me away uh, with this statement, we do not know our spiritual good. Let's let that rattle around in the room here for a bit. We do not know our spiritual good. What's the vision of God in this prayer? Lord, you do know. And all I have to bring you is my poverty of spirit. But what you give me is the kingdom of God. All I have is the mourning of my, my sin. I'm, a, I'm my own self-accuser. All I have, it's all I bring, but you comfort me. Matthew 6, 4. All I have is this meekness, and I feel like I'm going to cave in. I feel like I'm, I'm so weak. I'm so insignificant. I'm so undeserving. I'm so humbled. I don't know what to do or where to go. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit and what do they feel like they're going to inherit they feel like they're going to inherit nothing and Jesus says you'll inherit the earth so it's this this deeply satisfying uh, God who comes to us in our deep sadness, in our deep sorrow. And he bids us in Jeremiah 33, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And ultimately that is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus Christ, the great and mighty things. You, by God's mercy, are part of the kingdom of God. This is good stuff. There's a vision of God's love. It's in you. It's been granted by His grace. And we pray as a church that that vision of God's love and His all-satisfying beauty would now stoke the fires of your soul and overflow into obedience. And God has done this. No man can make this happen. God has done this. Romans 5.5, Paul writes, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us God has done an inside job in you he granted you to have the gift of the Holy Spirit who is more passionate more devoted more convinced more understanding of the divine beauty that your soul longs for and the Holy Spirit is working now to make you love these things and to bring you into the deep satisfaction of this vision of God it's underway it's happening now Is anyone encouraged? This is good stuff. And then the thirdly, what awareness? I mean, what other kind of synonym can we come up with now? What awareness has gripped this person who prays this prayer? What are they aware of? It's overtaken them. and And I would suggest that God is not passive, but he is active. He is moving. God is active and moving, and he has... He has awakened us to our true and deep need. We were born into this world unaware of our souls, unfamiliar with our souls. If our soul was crying out, we we silenced it. We put it away. But there's a new awareness that's come over us. And here's what I think it means in particular for us today in the age we live. The awareness is this. You now have a capacity, an awareness, a knowledge of what is, you're growing in this knowledge of what is trivial and what is substantial. You are now moving away from a culture that just specializes in distraction. And now you're moving into the weightier matters of what it means to be a human being. God is giving you the gift of focus. Jesus taught. I mean, dozens of examples of this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all the things that are troubling you, all the things you worry about, all the things you're distracted with, will be given given unto you. You see, it's the gift of focus. Weightier matters have gripped your soul. It's a big prayer. It's a big, big, big prayer. And it, it matches the well, it, it, it expresses the, the soul's awakening to its value. I see w- what I should be pursuing, what I should love, what I should gain for myself, and that is the presence of God. The closeness of God to experience his, his, closeness, his closeness is better than anything else I could gain. Jesus put it this way in Mark 8:36. "What does it profit? a man to gain the whole world. There's people today thinking about gaining the whole world. That's a serious pursuit. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? What awareness has come over the person who prays his prayer? I have a soul. I've been made, the soul has been made to hallow God, to to make him famous. This is what I live for. This This is what I'm made for. And I I could have missed it should God not have had mercy upon me. Eternal life now has a weight to it. I see how things should be in the world and I'm dependent upon God to fix it. I foolishly thought I knew what was important in life. And now I've come to know that the highest good I can have is to experience the nearness of God. I'm alive. I'm alive to what it means to be a human being. Three images from the Psalms and then we're done. Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And here's the presence of God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How about Psalm 27? One thing I have asked of the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. And one final thought from Psalm 73. The the psalmist's name is Asaph. And he's really in agony over the prosperity of the wicked. And why is God so passive? And he says this in verse 25 of Psalm 73. Listen to this. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee I desire nothing on earth. Listen to that. Besides you, I desire no riches. I don't desire um, an easy life. Do you see how big the prayer of the soul is in the the scripture that's been set on fire? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever forever. And then verse 28, as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. And so, uh, today, the challenge is this. God has so worked in Jesus Christ to so bring to you your heart would overflow in the good news of his kindness to you that you would have an inner sanctuary, closed-door session with your God. And you would begin to take your life and put it before him and be gripped by this new humility. God, I need you, and I'm just learning what that's about. I see a vision of your divine beauty and wonder and greatness and i'm aware of the weightier things i'm aware of the trivial things that i need to put aside you are making my heart my heart do a u-turn and it's so good it's so right thank you thank you let's pray Father, I pray that the light of your word will penetrate into our hearts. That we will not be afraid to turn to you and say, oh, I have failed so greatly in this area. Father, you have taken all our failure to care, all our inability to desire, and you put it on your son. And now you have rescued us from your own judgment, and you have declared us your children. And you have given us the spirit of adoption in us. You have poured forth the Holy Spirit, poured forth your love into our hearts. And you have said, come, come and know that the nearness of our God is our good. Help us love your nearness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.